hey, Jared, come to another episode of the show with us. No. But Jared, you said you'd come back if Steve came back, and he came back in the last episode, so now you gotta come back. Fine. What an underwhelming cold open this turned out to be. Welcome to Muppet Fans Talking. Join us as Jim Henson fans from around the globe come together with commentary on the news and productions of the Jim Henson Company, Sesame Workshop, Muppets Studio, and beyond. Now, here's your host, or at least he's one of them, J.G. Hansel. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Muppet Fans Talking. I'm your host, J.D. Hansel, and joining me today is that most popular and appealing platter of pork, that profoundly pleasing piece yeah, of no, poultry. Hi, I'm Jared Fairclough from the Muppet Mindset. That's right, the Muppet Mindset, the Muppet fan site for people with sharp minds. If you're listening to this podcast, it's probably not for you. And also with us today is our co-host from Kansas, Clayton Roeder. Hi, I'm uh, uh, actually J.D. I'm from Kentucky. Same difference. In this episode of Muppet Fans Talking, we are proud to be celebrating the five-year anniversary of the most recent Muppet movie, Muppets Most Wanted. That's right, March of 2014, that's over five years ago now, people, was the last time we saw the Muppets on the big screen. So in this episode of the podcast... Wait, 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 no. No, you didn't introduce Swanson. Where is Swanson? Oh, um, uh, Jared, he's... So I, I said... He came back in the previous episode. Okay. And he'll be joining us in just a few minutes, all right? All right, good. Proceed. Wow, J.D., you're, you're getting better at acting. You almost didn't sound nervous about lying at all. Thank you. Now, for this episode, we'll be taking a look at Muppets Most Wanted's extended edition, its soundtrack, cast, writer's plot, and how it compares to the other Muppet films overall. It's a lot to cover, but first, let's talk about the latest events in Muppet News. Muppet News Flash! First up, since we've got a lot of Sesame Street news this time, let's jump right in with the big Sesame Street story. It's the one you've all been reading about, the one you've all been so excited about, Stamps. Yeah. Woo! For whatever reason, everybody's going crazy about Sesame Street Stamps, and I don't understand it. Like, I, I went into a Wendy's the other day, and the lady behind the counter was like, Hey, I got those stamps. And I'm like, who, why is, is she talking to me? Yeah, she was. She was yelling at me about how she really loves the Sesame Street stamps because I was wearing a Sesame Street t-shirt. So now everyone associates Sesame Street with stamps. This is what the 50th anniversary celebration has come to. Hooray, I guess. I don't know. What I do mean, you guys think? I, I, I guess. I mean, they're just stamps. Like, I understand that, you know, people will be excited, but it's stamps. Like, snail mail is such a dying, you know, industry these days. Great. Now let's get a Sesame Street Atari game, I guess. That would be awesome. I do. That would be awesome, actually. I, I say that. I would like a Sesame Street Atari game, please. Yes, me too. And a pony and a little wooden train, please. Thank you. I do think it is kind of interesting. I feel like I've seen at least one or two people who are like, this is the first time... Sesame Street has gotten stamps when, no, I'm pretty sure Big Bird got one back around either the late 80s or early 90s or something like that. I mean, obviously, we're getting some new characters here like Abby Cadabby and Julia, but they're just stamps. Wait a second. Jared, do you get these stamps at all in Australia or do are we? is it only the U.S. Postal Service that has this deal with Sesame? It's only the U.S. We don't really, like, the stamps here are all just, like, crappy sort of... I guess, like, old artwork, sort of things in the public domain. We don't really get any of those sort of things. Okay, I think I understand the excitement now over these stamps. It's something we have that Jared of the Muppet Mindset does not have. No, I don't. I don't, I, I don't need it. I, I, I'm going to have a Sesame Street Atari game. <laughs> you know what? Fair point. Speaking of Sesame Street no, video no, no, games... No, 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 I... Just very quickly, how come this is the only podcast not sponsored by Stamps.com? Um, it's because we've got an Australian involved and your stamps are bad. I have nothing to add to that. All right. So 
I'm really annoyed that you got in the way of my beautiful segue. We can, we can, sorry, we can get rid of that bit. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> no, I like the bit. It. I like the bit. It's just that I was able to go from a Sesame yeah, Street no, video you game. Yeah, gone from video game to that. Yeah, no, I right didn't that. Right into well Sesame Street releases the pinball number count as a game. Oh my gosh, I am so happy about this. I know it's sort of a stupid, petty thing, but I am so, so happy that I got to play the pinball number count as a game. And like you can, if you shoot it in just the right spot, then it like goes into this other part of the game and it plays more of the song and does the numbers. And it's, yeah, like you're trying to get it up to 12. It's it's exactly what I would want, except the format is weird. Like... You would think for something like this, which is clearly a fan game, I think everyone involved knew this was a fan-oriented game, not so much a game oriented at the three-year-olds on their main website. You'd think that they would make this available as an app, make it available at least as like a Facebook game or something. Like if they've already Mm -hmm. coded it to be able to put it on their own website, they should put it up in a way that makes it more accessible to play on your phone, which is currently very difficult to do. And I don't understand the thinking behind that. Have either of you gotten the chance to play this game? I have, but I played it on my phone and didn't have an issue. I was having an issue I, trying to get it just right. No, see, I didn't have an issue with it. I played it for probably half an hour uh, a couple of weeks ago, and no, I, I didn't have one problem with it whatsoever. I've tried to play it, or I mean, I've I've been trying to like find time to play it, but I haven't actually like gone to the link or anything yet. I mean, all that it really is is just pinball for a computer or phone. I mean, if you know how that works, then you know how to do it. It's just that when I was a kid, I would always play the pinball game that came with the Windows XP. And so to have an alternative to that now, that's... Uh, in many ways, much higher quality with such a gorgeous design and a a great use of the music from the Sesame sketch and just something that's just so freaking nostalgic. It's great. It's exactly the kind of thing that I would want uh, for Sesame Street's 50th anniversary celebration stuff. It does make me wonder why we didn't get it earlier. Because, I mean, that pinball number count's been around for decades at this point. What's taken them 50 years to get it up? I I think it's just the ease and cheapness uh that's a word of being able to you know making a game now you can make a computer game a phone game anything like that so much more easily now uh, and so much more affordably now than before so now it just seems obvious but I, i think that it probably wouldn't have seemed worth it for the 40th anniversary celebration when all that stuff wasn't quite as easy and accessible and Sesame wasn't quite on top of their mobile application game yet. They were getting there. But yeah, they probably should have thought of this one sooner. Um, And it's fun. It's good. Play it. Up next, Sesame Street has a pretty different kind of release, uh, one of a much larger scale, from ToughPigs.com. While we wait with bated breath for any details about the upcoming Sesame Street movie, like plot or setting or whether or not Forgetful Jones will be in it, we finally have a little more info. And that info is the date when we'll finally know everything. According to Variety, the Sesame Street movie will be in theaters on January 15th, 2021. For those of you who haven't bought your 2021 calendars yet, that is the Friday before Martin Luther King Jr. uh, weekend. Also, the Variety article specifically noted that the film will be live action. So any of you who were worried that Bird and Ernie would be replaced with CGI replicas can now rest easy. Okay, yeah, I was seeing stuff going around the internet, as I think you guys may have pointed out to me um, in in a chat earlier, uh, that was saying, you know, new live action Sesame Street movie. And it's like, was that even a question? But I mean... I guess it was. We, it could have been, dare I say it, the Henson Digital Puppetry System. Ah! Yeah, yeah, we, we did that last episode. That's yeah, all right. We've freaked out enough. You're right. Okay. Um, Jared, anything to add? Yeah. All I'll say is that take that news with a giant truckload of salt, because from what I have been told by people who sort of are more in the know, the movie hasn't even been officially greenlit yet. Oh. All right. Thanks, Variety. And I'll throw in there that when you're taking all that salt, be sure that, you know, you're getting some good exercise in because cholesterol is a big problem. Yeah, I'm drinking lots of water. 
I got this. Speaking of water, uh, Sesame Street has just finally opened oh, in SeaWorld. Oh, what a segue. I know, I'm getting segue. so freaking lucky this time. <laughs> it's great. It's really great. This never <laughs> happens. Wow. It's my special day. Okay. So, Sesame Street has just opened its new Sesame Street area called Sesame Street. Okay. In SeaWorld. Um... I don't know why that bugs me, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I expect it to just be... I wanted to have its own name. I mean, it isn't Sesame Street, okay? They can call it Sesame Street, but it isn't... Se like, they don't even call the replica in Sesame Place Sesame Street, I don't think. I mean, the, the whole area is called Sesame Place, because you get that it's a Sesame-themed place. This should be called something like, you know... Sesame Place Sea World or Sesame Sea World or something stupid like that. I did kind of have the same reaction to it. Not as annoyed, but the same reaction as I had when I heard that the new Muppet Show was going to be called The Muppets. The new Muppet Show in 2015, not there's nothing new about Disney+. Plus. Thank you for specifying, or else we would have gotten so many comments that were just like, what do you know about the upcoming series that you're not telling us? And then I would have to be like, I don't know, but thank you for commenting. I had no idea people knew this show existed. That's awesome. <laughs> have you seen any of the... You haven't seen any of the videos, have you, JD? Oh, uh, I've seen some amount of... Like, a little bit of video footage from when it was nearly opened, and I've seen a bunch of uh, pictures from okay. the opening. Well, then you can head to MuppetMindset.com because I've got a ton of videos on there uh, from a couple of different YouTubers who are there opening day who sort of go through and do a tour of the place, who do a couple of the character interactions, who show you some of the food that's available. It's a nice little area. Like, it's not huge. It's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. But it's a nice little area. The, uh, the attention to detail is quite nice. The interactive sort of elements are are quite nice the one thing that bugs me a little bit is that there's one thing called um story time with big bird yeah i think and i'm watching it right now i've got your uh, muppet yeah. mindset page open and it is yeah. very thorough so, so the story time with big bird i assumed it was going to have like you know some set stories that maybe matt vogel had recorded and then big bird was you know going to read them to you like the costume character no Instead, a cast member from SeaWorld comes out, sits down, and just reads a story next to the Big Bird walk around. And I thought that was kind of lazy. I thought that was a bit sort of... That wasn't really what it said on the tin. Um, also, I noticed that... Because uh, there's also a video of the parade. If you listen to the parade carefully, that's old... That's an old recording from an old song because you've got Fran Brill in there. You've got Jerry Nelson's The Count in there. You've got Carol Spinney as Big Bird in there. And so obviously they just haven't recorded anything new for it. They've just grabbed an old song from, you know, 15 years ago, thrown that in and just hope no one's noticed. So from what I can tell, the parade at SeaWorld is a replica of a parade they've been using at Sesame Place. And it might be the same okay. one... Uh, that they used back when I was at Sesame Place in, like, 2015. Um, I okay. remember that one See, had some I'm older performers be. in it. They worked a little bit of Jerry Nelson's The Count in there, possibly from archived clips. Um, I know it was definitely Steve Whitmire as Ernie, which is probably still the case for this uh, parade audio that you heard. Yes, it is. Um, and, yeah, I want to say Fran Brill was involved as well. So, yeah, I don't think that they... Uh, I mean, this isn't exactly a spared-no-expense situation. I don't think that SeaWorld could have really afforded to do a spare-no-expense situation. I will say that the video I'm seeing here of the story time with Big Bird looks so lazy that it's laughable and embarrassing and just utterly wrong. I mean, this is the kind of treatment of characters that makes Frank Oz cry. I just thought they put so much effort into a lot of other things in the... In the, in the place, they could have done a little more effort with the Big Bird. Right. That's that's what I do want to say, though, is that most of this area is actually extremely impressive and in some ways a Muppet fan's dream come true because they've really done justice to the Sesame Street set and made it look very nice. Like, this is an area where I would gladly 
you know, just waste my time. An area where I would love to just hang out and enjoy the environment the same way that I would with, you know, any part of Epcot or DCA. And right. that's pretty impressive. So, also what I liked about it is if you scroll right to the bottom of that, I assume you're going to put the link in the show notes. If you scroll right to the bottom of that um, article where I put all these videos on, they show the POV of Super Grover's Boxcar Derby roller coaster. What I appreciate about that roller coaster is, yes, it's sort of for children, but it's certainly not a childish roller coaster at all. Like, it's got some, it goes fairly fast, it's got some fairly big dips in it. So I appreciate the fact that they didn't just put in, like, you know, a tiny little kid's roller coaster. They've actually sort of put a little bit of effort into what they've done. Yeah, this is interesting because for as long as I've been around, they've had one of these coasters, also Super Grover themed, uh, at Sesame Place in Pennsylvania. But it certainly wasn't always there. It's one of the newer sections of the park. Uh, basically, the way that Sesame Place in Pennsylvania is laid out is the area in the back is what used to be the park, and then they expanded it out into the parking lot, so where you're entering is newer space. The stuff you see first is is relatively new, and by relatively new, I mean it had been built a little bit before I started going to Sesame Place as a wee little tiny person. Um, but that roller coaster with Super Grover has pretty much always been there, and has always had very long lines because it's the one attraction in Sesame Place uh, where the older kids who get dragged along to the park won't get bored. Because that's going to happen a lot. You're going to have families where there's one or two older kids and a bunch of little ones, and Sesame Place is pretty much the best theme park for very little kids. I think even a lot of the attractions in Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom could be a bit too scary or intense for a very little child, whereas there is, like, nothing scary about Sesame Place, which is very impressive. Um... So, yeah, having something that's that's for the older people is a smart move um, in both parks. I'm pretty happy that that's made it over. But I do know that in some other uh, Sesame Street areas in different parks, like in uh, one of the Bush Gardens parks, uh, the Williamsburg uh, Park does have a small Sesame Street-themed area where the roller coaster is much more aimed at your three-year-old. Um, and that's fine. I have nothing against that. But it's nice to see that for this park, the company decided to emulate the much stronger attractions in Sesame Place rather than the weaker attractions uh, and the so-called safer, you know, easier attractions, the ones that they know will fit the target audience for this themed area um, that you see in Bush Gardens. The only thing I really have to say that either of you haven't said about the, the, uh, the new park extension as someone who has worked with design and has worked with just, you know, T-shirts and things like that before, the, I saw some pictures of the merch area. Like, I think it's in Hooper's. And I think all the, like, 50th anniversary merch they have there looks really cool. All the different shirts and frames and stuff they have for that. I don't have much to add to that because I am not a designer. So... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. If only we had someone to help us. That's to help you segue. Oh, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so, Sesame Workshop is here to help us um, with our segues. No, no, that's not it. Darn it, I blew it. Um, Sesame Workshop is launching a new TV show called Helpsters. What is it? We don't know, but it's basically a coding show. Yeah, it's a show to teach young children the basics of coding. It's coming soon to Apple TV+, Plus, which is something I don't want to have to get, but now I might so we can watch this. And it's it's going to be a, a, it's a Sesame Workshop, the people behind Sesame Street, making a new puppet series that's not necessarily, strictly speaking, a spin-off. And I guess I didn't realize how significant and strange that was until, uh, Clayton, you pointed that out to me. Uh, like, that's... I, I mean, I'm used to them having other productions. Sesame's always had other productions. But I guess for the most part, if it's been puppets, it's been a direct spin-off of Sesame Street that's borrowing from some of the characters. Um, and... That's about it. Whereas... I think they've, I think they've gone... I think they've been wise in that. So the character Cody, I think it was. Yeah, which, Cody's her name. Do you know what? I've only just, like, this has been three, four days and that got announced. 
and I've only just realised that her name's Cody because of coding. But <laughs> that's that's my own problem to deal with. Um, I like the fact that they've made her close enough to a Sesame Street character, but still nothing like a Sesame Street character. If that makes sense, I know, right? Yeah, they've. It's a very it's a very fine line, and they've managed to uh, sort of get to that balance perfectly. Yeah, it's in a weird spot. I mean, personally, I find the puppet design a little strange and awkward. It almost looks a little juvenile, like you're expecting that to be a toy puppet for kids. But it doesn't look like it's made poorly. It looks like it's made well. It looks like it's high-quality stuff that can be performed well. So, Like right down to the point that if you watch closely in that video, I think she has a mechanism that moves her pigtails up and down. Yeah, she does. Really? Wow. Is that... Do you think she coded them to do that? How did I get a laugh with the worst joke I've ever made on this podcast? I don't know. You're certainly not going to get any nominations. Oh, yes. Speaking of nominations, the 2019 Daytime Emmy Award nominations are in. And from ToughPigs.com, the 2019 Daytime Emmy Award nominations are in. Man, I blew it. And surprising no one, Sesame Street is walking away with a whole bunch. Nine. But this year, they're not alone. The new Muppet Babies received four nominations, and Sesame Workshop's Esme and Roy got three. What is Esme and Roy? Uh, I don't know, but I think Tough Pigs wrote about it, so they seem to know what it is. Ask Joe. I don't know. Um, But good for Sesame Street. They always get Emmy nominations, so no surprise. They're going to walk away with an Emmy, I'm sure. If they don't, you know, there will be, I don't know uproar or something i guess uh but muppet babies getting recognition i think that's very good news we've all talked about how we really like muppet babies um the new series Mm -hmm. so it's great good news all around right good news all around i love muppet babies i like i like how it looks i mean you can see individual fibers on kermit yeah it's extremely well made and it's funny like it's legitimately got laugh out loud moments like i saw uh ben diskin who uh, performs Gonzo has been nominated and he deserves it 100% because his Gonzo is the standout of that entire show yes so here's to you Muppet Babies I'm currently holding up a bottle of water and you just heard me go Psh. Uh, speaking of water Sesame Street is opening its new Sesame Street themed area at no, SeaWorld that, we, did that, yes, we did that one already oh we did Yeah. Uh, so- sorry am I repeating a story because, you know, speaking of repeating stories, uh, guess what program is getting repeated? I don't want to be here anymore. That's this episode, folks. I'm C.W. Rotor. You can find me at the artist C.W. Rotor. <laughs> okay, so they're rebooting Jim Henson's The Storyteller, people. I'm going now. I'm losing my faith. I... Okay, then. Wow. That escalated quickly. <laughs> In an exclusive from Deadline, Jim Henson's iconic 80s anthology series, The Storyteller, is eyeing a comeback. Um, Basically, it's Neil Gaiman, a name I know but don't know how to pronounce because he's worked on a lot of cool fantasy story things that a lot of people like. Um, He's working on reimagining the Storyteller program, uh, bringing it back in what I guess is its second reboot because it already got rebooted ages ago with Greek myths, so... It looks like we're going to see the storyteller come back, um, and I'm pretty happy about that. I think that's a show that deserves a reboot. It was it was a great production. I, I really love the original storyteller, but I don't think I audiences think... quite got it at its time, and I think now we're more used to anthology series in some ways and are more ready for this kind of thing. Um, I so think I think this could given, work well. I think given the right budget, this show could be great. You go low budget with something like this, and it's going to show, whereas high budget... You're going to have something like anthology series uh, all the rage at the moment. You've got, you know, your Dark Mirror. There's another one, a Black Mirror, I should say. There's another one like Love and Robots or something that I've been told about on Netflix. They're all really great, but you need to have the talent and the budget behind it. So I'm hoping that whoever's making this show gives it the chance that it deserves, I guess, to sort of be what it should be. Yeah, how's this show going to work without John Hurt? Well, they just need someone... They, they, they need someone who has the talent of John Hurt. Who that is, I don't know. 
But here's a little fun fact for the audience. Um, when we first heard about this, I told you two in a group chat and Steve Swanson that I had heard that they were recreating John Hurt through CGI like they did to that guy in Rogue One. Uh, complete lie. Just wanted to get a reaction out of you three. And you just didn't react. You're like, oh, that's okay. Fair enough. Well, so it's I was like, no, no, crack, crack it. Get angry. Crack your shit. No, it's <laughs> easy. <laughs> crack your shit. You're just like, oh, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm like, how could you? I have seen you get upset over so much garbage stuff. And here I am saying they're going to recreate John Hurt out of nothing. And you're like, yeah, right. That sounds plausible. Yep. Cool. Great. Well, I mean, if they, if they did it right, it would at least be interesting. You know, I mean, I'm all for experimenting in using CGI to resurrect the dead. I completely trust the Henson Company to have quality CGI every time. Well, uh, okay. So, about that. About that. I got a copy of The Happy Time Murders on DVD from the library um, a few weeks ago, and I don't think I told any of you guys about it. But I just wanted to watch, like, the bonus features, see the behind-the-scenes stuff, deleted scenes, outtakes and bloopers, and um, uh, I watched it with the audio commentary track by Brian Henson and Bill Beretta. I wanted to see, you know, what was it, was it really fun making the movie? Why did they think this movie, basically, why did I think this movie, <laughs> how do I put this nicely? Why did they think this movie was going to be really great? Why did they really think it was definitely worth doing and worth fighting for for 10 years? What's so special about it? What was the experience like of making it? And um, what I came away with was it, it looks like the experience was a lot of fun. I can see what they were trying to do and how they had a lot of fun on set and they were laughing hysterically on set. Um, that's nice. But I also found out that a lot of those times when I thought they were using puppets... Like, really for real puppets? It wasn't really for real puppets. What they actually did when they needed, like, a full body scene with a puppet character in some situations, not every situation, but in some situations what they would do is they would have Bill Beretta do basically motion capture. He would act out, not basically motion capture, it was motion capture. He would act out uh, the scene doing the movements that the puppet's body is supposed to do with his whole body. And they would just use that to create a CGI character out of it. And because they did it using the Henson Digital Puppetry system, they're counting it as puppetry. When it's not puppetry. It's just motion capture. That's not a puppet. There are many scenes in which I was led to believe there was a puppet involved that didn't necessarily have a puppet involved. And that makes me mad. I'm okay with it. Well, then I'm not okay with you. Explain. I'm okay with it because if you watch that film and don't know that some of those characters are CGI, that means that they've done it well. It's got the right texturing. It's got the right movements. So if, it would be different if, you know, sort of it was kind of crappy animation or if it was really obvious. But because it's got the right look to it, then I'm completely okay with them doing that. Hey, Jared. J.D. Hansel. What do you think of the Great Muppet Caper? It's fine. It's good. It's a good movie. It's it's no 1979 The Muppet Movie. Uh, yeah, about that. Um, so, Jared, do you, you remember the time when we did that whole episode just talking about the 1979 Muppet Movie because I had watched it again for the first time in quite a few years and I was like, no, I don't like this as much as I thought I did? Yes, I remember. You were wrong. Uh, well, um, I rewatched The Great Muppet Caper recently, after many years of not having seen it, and it turns out, yeah, The Great Muppet Caper is at least as good as I remember it. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it to pieces. Might be my favorite movie ever. Same here. It's, it's good. The Great Muppet Caper is, is, it's better than the 1979 Muppet movie. I just want to throw that out there. It's, look, it's fine. It's a good movie, but you have to concede that the Muppet movie has the better soundtrack. Nope, I'm not granting yeah. you that one. I'm not going to okay, say well, that the Great Clayton's Muppet Caper... on board, but you're not. Look, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that the Muppet movie has a better soundtrack than Great Muppet Caper or that Great Muppet Caper has a better soundtrack than the Muppet movie. I'm undecided about that because I think it's really tough competition. I think that you get a lot of the best Muppet songs ever in both films. I think that um, the first time it happens in The Great Muppet Caper is one of the mm. best written love songs uh, I've ever heard. 
I will mm. staunchly disagree. I think it's quite a dull song myself. Uh, bye bye. You don't like that one, Jared? No, I just. Do you know what? That's one of the Muppet songs that if you asked me to sing it now, I couldn't tell you anything. Folks, um, Clayton and I are going to need to take Jared over into the corner here for um, a little lesson. You're not going to want to watch this, so uh, we'll be right back after this commercial break. Coming soon from Sesame Street Home Video, it's Sesame Street, the complete series collection. That's right, for the first time ever, you can own every single episode of Sesame Street from 1969 to today in this must-own 7,000-disc set. Experience all your favorite moments from Sesame Street and all your least favorite moments from Sesame Street as they get recycled across hundreds and hundreds of episodes all about the same 26 letters of the alphabet. We hope you like C is for Cookie because you're going to hear that sucker episode after episode after episode after episode after episode. This limited edition Blu-ray DVD set promises over 500,000 hours of content across five decades of Sesame Sesame Street's amazing history, but we haven't even gotten to the bonus material yet. We've included every documentary that's ever been made about Sesame Street or its performers, including I Am Big Bird, The Carol Spinney Story, Being Elmo, The Kevin Clash Story, I Am Jim Henson's Holy Prophet, The Steve Whitmire Story, and Hubba Wah, The Frank Oz Story. But wait, there's more! There's friggin' more! Order now to also receive every episode of every foreign co-production of Sesame Street, including Furchester Hotel and the German one with Ernie swearing. We didn't have time to subtitle any of these shows, so I hope you speak Hebrew. But wait, we're gonna give you even more than that! You'll also receive every episode of every series by Sesame Workshop that's even remotely related to Sesame Street, including As Me and Roy, Play With Me Sesame, Big Bag, The Electric Company, 321 Let's Go, and Pan Wappa. What is Pan Wappa? We don't know. We didn't watch it, but now you're getting it on Blu-ray. It's all yours for a price you can't afford, plus a shipping cost you can't imagine in Sesame Street, the complete series collection. And you should buy this show. Now, we're not pulling any punches here. I mean, there's nothing subtle about this pitch. So buy the show and show it to your kids. Show it to everybody. And you'll be happy because you'll be watching classic Sesame Street. And we'll be happy because we'll be making lots of money again. And God will look down on us and say, what are they doing with their lives? Sabrina, in her appearance in the old Archie TV show, is actually absolutely stupid. It's very frustrating because if you watch uh, the old JD. video for uh, Sugar Sugar, which was a big hit at the time, for some reason, Sabrina JD. is totally giving herself away as a teenage witch because she's like, she's kissing different members of the JD. band and they're turning into different things with her kiss. Like she, like she kisses one of them JD. and it turns into a frog at like a big giant dancing frog. Like Kermit, but not at all like Kermit. And then she kisses the dog, hot dog, and he turns JD. into a giant clown. Like, who? How do you not see that? JD, um, mm -hmm. you suck, I guess. It's just you told me Steve was going to be back. And yet, you know, we're what? <clears throat> you know, three quarters of the way through this thing, and I haven't seen a Swanson. Okay. Um, uh, that's a fair point. So, yeah, about that, it actually just so happens that uh, I have him right here. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Swanson. Say hi to everybody, Steve. Hello. There you go. That's that's Steve Swanson. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, we happen to have uh, something very special to share with you in this episode. Uh, as some of you may know, Frank Oz made a very, very rare appearance in front of human beings. That's right, he came out in the real world, not just on Twitter, to talk to people live at like a public event so that people could see his real human flesh. And this is an amazing thing. And it just so happens I got an interview with someone who was there to witness this event. Let's take a listen. Well, here I am now with a witness of Frank Oz's recent uh, college talk event thing. I'm actually not sure what it is, so I'm really glad to have him here. Uh, please welcome to the show my very special guest for the first time, uh, C.W. Roeder. Mr. Roeder, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, J.D. I'm happy to be here. So uh, what, what can you tell us about uh, this, this event? How did you find out about it? 
uh, just get the story started for me. Okay. Well, uh, back um, back around like earlier this month, early March, uh, my friend David Jose sent me a message saying, "Just hey, I read that Frank Oz is going to be speaking at Indiana University Southeast," and I have. I immediately started just screaming in the middle of my dorm. Uh, not really just because of Frank Oz, although he is great, but specifically because, you know, no one from the Muppet community ever really comes around this area, Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee, no one really comes near here. And so the fact that something like this was actually happening was, I was, I was honestly in shock for about a day. Well, the the university has some sort of annual keynote speaker just about someone who's done something really impressive in some specific industry or in some specific field. So a lot of it was there was definitely a lot of talk about the Muppets, but there was also a lot of talk about directing Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and directing Little Shop of Horrors and directing, uh, again, getting to the Muppets, the Muppets take Manhattan, but focusing on the directing side of things with that. It was primarily focused on his experiences as both a creator and, um, well, well, mainly that, a creator in this field and someone who had really had a huge impact in so much of pop culture um, as much as he had. So what was it like seeing Frank Oz in person? It was definitely a little bit trippy, um, more so than, I mean... Even like when I met Martin Robinson and uh, like all the people from Sesame Street last year, um, even then, it was like with them, it, there was definitely a little bit of a stand back moment where I was like, I'm standing in the same room as these people. But with Frank, like someone who technically is one of the head creators of the Muppets in general, someone who has been around since the mid 60s. It, there was a moment where, like, as soon as he walked out on stage, just, I remember, like, almost like someone had, like, tapped my head. My head just kind of jostled a little bit for a second. Just, like, I'm looking at Frank Oz. I'm looking at Francis Osnowitz. It's the actual Frank Oz is walking onto a stage right in front of me, because I was front row, right in front of me. Like, I'm within yards of the actual... Cookie Monster, Grover, Animal, Piggy, Fozzie, Sam, Animal, I might have said Animal twice, Frank Oz, he's right here. And so there there were a number of times where I did just kind of sink in, like, I'm right in front of Frank Oz, and I tried not to just, like, have some sort of involuntary screaming moment, which I know sounds dorky, but I mean, you know, that's me. It's fair. It's fair. I mean, it is Frank Oz, so... Uh, wh- what did he have? What did he have to say that you hadn't really um, uh, heard before? I-, I would hope he told some stories that were new to you and interesting. I had definitely heard the backstory of Miss Piggy before, but he did share some details about it. I did not. If he had shared it, I don't remember hearing it before. The way he told the story this time was that Piggy grew up on a farm, and her father. Uh, treated her like a princess, made her feel like she was the most wonderful girl in the world. But then, while she was still young, he died in a tractor accident. And so, um, but she just continued to grow up on the farm with her mother, and her mother never remarried. Um, and then as Piggy entered her teenage years and her young adult years, her mother started noticing that the men who were supposed to be coming over to somewhat date her we're going after her daughter we're going after piggy and she began she became really jealous of that and so piggy after fighting with her mother ran away from home and went to she went to charm school and did some jobs where all frank said was jobs that she was not proud of and then ultimately found herself at the muppet theater that is fascinating. Like, I've always heard that there was a whole backstory involving a farm, but mm-hmm. I didn't know it was like that. That is beautiful. It's crazy, isn't it? What a story. And there was like, another... That could be a, a somebody's biopic in and of itself, and it would be a great movie. Honestly, yeah. And there was another really... Um, I had heard him... I had heard Frank say this before, but not really as clearly as he put it here. 
Um, after telling that, he also added on that Piggy is... What makes Piggy funny is that she is really horribly insecure deep down. She cannot sing. She cannot dance. She cannot act. She is not pretty. She is none of these things. So what she does is she hides all that insecurity with bravado. And that and that is ultimately what makes her funny. What people laugh at isn't actually Piggy or that Piggy's just a mean person. They're laughing at the fact that she, in some sense, recognizes these faults that she has, but the way she responds to herself, in a sense, is what makes her funny. She's a complicated character. She is definitely the most layered, complicated Muppet. Um, yes. And, and I respect that. He also, that. Um, s- stepping away from Piggy a little bit, he had a lot of interestingly heartfelt moments, which, not to say that Frank can't be heartfelt, but... There were a lot of moments he just said really genuinely sweet and considerate things to just the audience. And I was almost taken aback because he's not that he's ever been rude or nasty to the fans, but he's generally not the one to get a little bit more, a little bit more emotional, a little bit more sweet. And it was just really interesting. Particularly, there was one moment at the end where he just kind of all of a sudden said, if there's anyone out there in the audience who has as much insecurity as I did when I was young. Just, I want you to know that you you guys are good enough and that you can do anything you want to do. Wow. It's crazy. Now, Clayton, I would like you to tell me the story about the picture I saw on, uh, on Facebook of Frank Oz um, after this talk. Um, please explain. Ah, uh, yes. So, a a little-known fact about me, I am a character artist, and uh, particularly I've been doing a lot of fan art over the years. Really? Um, Yeah, really. Do do you draw? uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's something uh, I don't really share very often, but... Oh, well, that's uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, when, when I heard that Frank was coming, and I was still kind of convinced of the idea that I might be able to meet him... I wanted to do a picture for him. And specifically, I wanted to do it because he, and this is something he actually shared at this, this talk is that he's dealt a lot with really crummy fans, mostly Star Wars ones, unfortunately, where they have asked him to autograph things just so they can slap it up on eBay. Uh, he actually shared one really frustrating story where he had flown to Seattle for some event and um, someone from the front desk called his room and of, of his hotel. And they had said that there's some man down there who he's with his daughter and they flew across or they, they drove across the country to meet him because they knew they were going to be here. They didn't want to take much of his time. They just wanted, you know, one autograph for his daughter. So Frank went, all right, fine. And he came downstairs and there's not a man with his daughter. There are six men, all with Yoda pictures. That's wrong. Yeah, that's like really wrong. That is so, very, very wrong. With that in mind, yeah, it's I. I was trying. I I was really honestly furious the first time I heard that story, and so. Anyway, with all of that in mind, flashing back to before this event, I knew that. If I did get the chance to meet him, I didn't want to ask anything of him. Rather, I wanted to just give him something. And so I comprised this little drawing of almost all of his main Muppet Show characters. I did. It was uh, Animal, Fozzie, Sam, Piggy, and George the Janitor. Uh, I was going to put um, Marvin Suggs in George's place, but I didn't think he really fit as well. Uh, just because of the pose he would be in, there it would kind of like uh, throw off the balance of the picture. Um, and so, yeah, I put that together for him. And when we got there, as I said, we were told that we wouldn't have a chance to meet him. So I was a little bit bummed out at first about that. But um, one thing that I've definitely learned in every single experience I've had with anything Sesame Street or Muppets related, or even just anything connected to my both personal and professional life, always take a chance when you're able to. And so 
when we were allowed to go into the theater where he was uh, speaking, um, the auditorium, I saw this woman on stage from the university and I just went up to her. I, I actually need to give someone credit here. David Jose, the guy who told me about this event and the guy I went with, he was the one who pointed out that woman and said, hey, you should go up to her and ask if there's some way you can get your picture to Frank. That's something that me and James both love about David is he gets stuff done like that. He just says, hey, go do that. And so I went up to this woman and said, hey, I did this picture for Frank. Um, I assume that I can't meet him or anything, but can, is there any way you all can get this picture to him for me? And so there was a little bit of back and forth of saying, of them like saying, hey, Frank, someone has a picture for you. And then Frank asked for a picture of the picture, like with the cell phone. And then they took it to him. And then they came back after that and said, okay, Frank wants this picture right now. Can we take it? And so I hand him the picture and they go away and they come back and airdrop me this very just wonderful picture of Frank uh, holding this drawing that I did of his characters. That is so nice. I actually, I had posted about the event on Twitter and I, I tagged him in it and he replied, Hey, sorry I wasn't able to see you and thank you personally. It would have caused too much of a ruckus with so many people if I had. It's a wonderful drawing. You even got George the Janitor in there. Thanks and best wishes, Frank. Well, that's just too darn sweet. And I can't think of a better way to end this interview than that. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. We're calling it there. That's all, folks. That was Frank Oz. All right. Well, that was fun. Jared, what did you think of that? Uh, I, I, I want to know what Steve thought of it. Um, okay, uh, Steve, what did you uh, think of that bit? It's a beautiful, beautiful man. Very insightful. Okay. I did not like that guy. He sounded like kind of a geek. Uh, you know, that's... Uh, um, a lot of people feel that way about him. Yeah, he, he, he leaves that impression. Well, now as we're coming to the end of the show, it's time once again for a look back on 50 years of Sesame Street, which is the part of the show when we look back on 50 years of Sesame Street to celebrate its 50th anniversary of being Sesame Street. So there's that. And for this episode, we thought we would take a look at some of the best songs of Joe Raposo on Sesame Street, the composer who wrote really great songs for the great Muppet Caper, um, but also wrote some good songs for Sesame Street. Uh, lots of classics that you would know. So if I may, uh, I'm going to go first and share uh, just a, a standard from Joe Raposo that we all know. I know that it's it's a bit cliche, but I like it because it's empowering. It's one of those songs that says, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, um, you can be you can be proud of yourself, and you should be proud of yourself because you're unique, you're special. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about his song "I'm an Aardvark." I'm an aardvark, and I'm proud. I'm an aardvark, and I'm happy. I'm an aardvark. If I try to be specific and a little scientific, I am feeling quite terrific. I'm an aardvark, fierce and free. I'm an aardvark, standing bravely. I'm an aardvark, and I'm tough and smart and strong and always right, and that's the way I'll always be until I meet another What's great here is that Joe Raposo and the good people at Sesame Workshop understood that aardvarks get so little representation. I mean, this was at a time well before Arthur was on PBS, and they had the foresight to record this song to empower hideous-looking animals that you would think were anteaters, but they're not. They're aardvarks. Um... They're really, really pathetic creatures. They disgust me, but he made them beautiful and something to be proud of. Uh, and then wrote the follow-up song for Big Bird, I'm no aardvark, but I'm still proud, which I think is an equally great composition because we should all be proud of ourselves for not being aardvarks, just as aardvarks should be proud of themselves for being aardvarks. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, that's, I think, I know that's cliche, but I think that's why that song has become a standard recorded by, you know, Ray Charles and Frank Sinatra and so many other uh, great artists of our time. Uh, and I think it's really an accomplishment for Sesame Street. I'd like to present a song. Okay. That I think really captures the human spirit. Yeah. And the things we do for the sake of doing them. We don't expect thanks. We don't expect anything. We just do them. And that's a song called Little Plant. Hmm. Where Ernie sings a song about watering his plant and his plant says thank you. And that's all the song is. And I don't know why it exists. But there you go. I have a little plant. I always give her water. Cause you see, she really loves her water and she says thank you to me even though I never hear it but she says thank you to me I have a little plant I put her in the sunlight cause you see she really loves the sunlight and she says thank you to me even though I never hear it, still she says thank you to me. She'll never give me flowers or cuddle like a pet. She'll never give me pretty fruit to eat. What you see is what you get. I have a little plant. I guess I'll keep on caring because you see she really likes my caring and she says thank you to me even though I'll never hear it still she says thank you to me I can tell it very clearly when she says thank you to me well she would if she could talk wouldn't you little plant okay you're welcome well, it's easy for you to say. Okay, later. I respect that. I think that's beautiful. It's a statement. It's a statement. It's a statement about only doing things because a plant imaginarily thanks you by going ding, ding. And kids need to hear that. They need to they hear do. ding, ding. They do. All right. That just leaves us with Clayton. Clayton, what is your song from the legendary Joe Raposo? So, for my pick... Um, I gave this a lot of consideration because I was trying not to go with the cliche answers. And uh, I have to say, I think I did kind of an okay job. It's still a little bit of an obvious answer, but at the same time, it's not a song you're going to stop someone on the street and they know maybe like one time, but every other time you stop someone on the street, they're going to know what this is. So, you know, it's cliche for a reason, like I've said before. Um, Sloth Sleepy. Perhaps one of the most, it's, it's a very fast paced song. It really kind of, I've, if I didn't have a roommate, that would probably be what my alarm is because it really gets you going. And, uh, it's, 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 it's a very big inspiration for someone. Not, not necessarily an inspiration, but a really big, uh, just something I appreciate as someone who really enjoys good bass and a good drum line and a good song. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's a reason that Sesame Street has become classic, and it's because of Sloth Sleepy. Rest, sleepy sloth, don't worry, just one more day. Passing time, never hurry, that's just your way. That's a great choice, uh, Clayton, but I'd like to hear what Steve's favorite Joe Raposo song is. Oh, um, 
Steve, what do you think about that? Hmm. Oh, see, he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking. Are you, are you going to be able to come up with an answer to that, Steve, or is it just too hard? Mm, no. No, no, he doesn't, he doesn't think so. Uh, no, no, I, 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 think, I think he can probably think of something. Okay, um... Just any Joe Raposo song. Hell, I'll take any Sesame Street song, even not written by Joe Raposo. Stop. Oh, yeah, there we go. Stop. Um, Stop is a Sesame Street song that first appeared in season three. From the Muppet Wiki, uh, it's been sung by many different characters, including the following. Susan, Bob, Gina, Gordon, Bert, uh, and interestingly Biff with Roxy Marie and Benny Rabbit in sing-along travel songs. It was written by Jeff Moss and Joe Raposo, so that's a double win there. Uh, it's dated back to 1971. Um, and was included in Big Bird's favorite party games. So there you go. Stop. Let's hear that song right now to prove that it's real. This is a game. Now it's a start and stop game. You start to do something, and then you hear this sound, and you stop. But when you hear this whistle, start. And start right now by pretending that you're swimming, get your arms working, and stroke on. Well, make believe that you are swimming in the deep blue sea, and there's no one else around. Your arms are really working, and you're swimming real hard. Your feet can't touch the ground. Yeah, you're really going at it, and you're having a ball. And then you hear this sound, and that means stop. Freeze, don't kick a stroke. Stay there, stay there, stay there, stay there, okay? Ready? Well, make believe that you're a monster and you're really mean. You're jumping up and down. You're making monster noises and you're growling real loud. You're scaring everyone in town. Oh yeah, you're really being scary and you're having a ball. And then you hear this sound. That means stop. Don't scare a soul. Okay, okay, stay there, stay there, stay there. Ready? Now make believe that you're a birdie and you're flying high and you're way above the ground. Hey, look, you, your wings are really flapping, man. You, you're going real good. You're never, never coming down. Yeah, you're feeling just as happy as a birdie can feel. And then you hear this sound. And that means stop. Don't swing a wing. Don't kick a stroke. Don't scare a soul. Okay, so now, would anyone like to share one very special highlight, just one, from Sesame Street's 50-year history? Not one of these Joe Raposo songs, but something else? Oh, oh, uh, me, uh, JD, over here. Uh, yes, you, the one with the, um, uh, uh, you know, aggressive happiness. Yeah, but, uh, okay. Um, I, I wanted to show you all a very special segment. Now, granted, this is a Muppet podcast, and what I'm about to bring up isn't necessarily a Muppet thing, but it is, you know, Sesame Street's had a lot of classic animation over the years. Um, I mean, Alligator King was good, Ladybug Picnic was good, but if we really want to talk true, just beauty from the show... I really want to introduce you all to Bird and Toothbrush. Oh, do I? All right, I'm going to look this up. I have not seen this before. Okie doke. So I'm going to YouTube. Tell me when you hit play. All right, so it's it's called Bird and Toothbrush? Bird and Toothbrush. Yeah, classic Sesame Street dash Bird and Toothbrush. Yeah. Let me know when you hit play, because I want to watch it at the same time as you. So oh, I'm yeah. Reacting to. All right, hitting play. Wait, 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 wait. In three. Wait, wait, no, shut the f*** up. I'm going to get it back up. Bird and toothbrush Sesame Street. <laughs> I can already right, tell I'm from ready. the thumbnail, this is a nightmare. What have you gotten me into, oh, Clayton? Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> All right, I'm ready when you are. I'm excited. Three, two, one, play. Behold. Okay. All right. Oh, that looks bad. Oh, that is not... Oh, Sorry, I just zoomed in on the face. What in the world? <laughs> Hands coming out of the... Ew! What? A banana just appeared. Okay. These things are just appearing in front of this bird. 
and the ball is shrinking. Oh, it gets so much worse. <laughs> okay, I think I've seen the weirdest thing I could possibly see in this. That's oh no, oh no. Oh. What in the world? <laughs> I thought it was going to be just like a, a little toothbrush talking, but no, it's like a giant toothbrush the same size as the bird talking to him, and then it shrinks and down. And shrunk. And yeah. then it grows again. <laughs> oh, so what was that? It just, they're talking halfway normally, but still in a creepy rhyme, and then randomly the toothbrush just says, Skitter-dee-bee-bop, and it's like, that's not his voice for the rest of the, anywhere else in the video. And also it has JD. that weird, and now it'll turn to grey. Yeah, what is... Th oh. All your teeth will turn to grey. All of that was wrong. <laughs> All of that video yep. was wrong. What was it teaching? What was so I supposed to learn from that? Existential crises. It was teaching existential crises. <laughs> Jared, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that that's a fever dream of someone on cocaine. Clayton, what are your thoughts? I think I clicked on the wrong thumbnail when I was talking about, you know, classic Sesame Street bits. Maybe I saw something else. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe. I am, uh, I am teeming with regret. Well, what do you think, Steve? Everybody does have to see that, yes. Great! Alright, so that about wraps it up for this one. No, nah, nah, I'm done. I'm done with that. That's that's clearly not Steve. You've clearly just found old clips of Steve that you're putting in. I've had enough. You promised me Steve would be back. You have lied to me. You've done a lot of stuff to me on this podcast. You've, you know, forced me into a room with Drunk Elmo. You've forced me into a weird Christmas special from, you know, 11 years before I was born. And yet, you've never lied to me. And now you've lied to me. And that's not good enough. Oh, uh, what did I have to do with getting you into that Christmas special? That was all because you didn't believe in Christmas. We are not getting into that fight again. No, I'm not no, I'm not having that argument with it again. All right? We didn't talk for four years after that. Wait, what? I just... I, I, the the space-time continuum. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. I just... I just... I'm... I just can't believe you've, you've lied to me. I, that's not good enough, JD. That's not good enough at all. I'm, you, you basically got me here under false pretenses. And I can't abide by that. You know, you've done a lot of stuff to me. You've, what? You've done a lot of stuff, and I just I don't know if I can continue with you when I can't trust you anymore. Jared, understand. I only said what I said to protect you. I was only trying to keep you from harm. Because I know, I know that being a part of this podcast, that's really what you want. This is where you belong. You're not going to make I mean, it out there on any other podcast, Jared, because other people aren't going to put up with you being horrible bullies to them. Well, maybe I, that's something I need to learn for myself. Maybe it's time that I'd step back a little. Like, you know, maybe I'll pop in occasionally, but I think I think we're breaking up a little bit. Well, my internet connection has been really bad. I, I think I think it's maybe time I step back a little, let you two sort of take the helm and maybe reevaluate how I feel about this podcast and you and podcasts in general and Clayton and the fact that he always draws me with buck teeth, but that's fine. We've already had that argument. It's just... It's... I, th I think I'm done. Well, Jared, um... I'm sorry to hear that. I'm gonna miss you, little buddy. And Drunk Elmo's gonna miss you, and High Big Bird's gonna miss you. We're all gonna miss you very much. Um, but, um... If you feel we need to take some time... Um... Then, uh... Then you know what? That's okay with me because you're really mean to me. So you know what? Yeah, that's fine. I'm on board with it. All right. See you never. Sorry, did you say something? I was uh, I was tweeting. Get out. All right. Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much for joining us for this special 
anniversary review of Muppets Most Wanted. I know that I've learned a lot about Muppets Most Wanted from doing this podcast. I think we all have, uh, and we've got a newfound growing appreciation uh, for that great movie. So happy to be celebrating its five-year anniversary. Hopefully we'll be seeing lots more of Constantine soon. Love that guy. Uh, Clayton, would you like to tell the listeners at home uh, where they can find you online? Um, I am concerned. Um, I, I'm C.W. Roter, and you can find me at cwroter.pixpa, that's P-I-X-P-A, dot com, and there you will find all of my social media, all of my artwork, all kinds of things like that. That, again, is C.W. Roter, C-W-R-O-E-D-E-R-E-R, dot pixpa, P-I-X-P-A, dot com. Okay, and with that, uh, oh, hold on just a second, another ring, um, hello? MuppetMindset.com, that's where you can find me. Okay, and you can find me at MuppetHub.com, that's right, MuppetHub.com, which doesn't come up when you Google Muppet Hub, you'll just have to type it in. Until next time, I'm J.D. Hansel, and my teeth will turn gray. <laughs> I almost started to sound like Sir Michael Caine. With a glass raised to dose your elf.